If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries, ad-free versions of our promo specials, extended cuts, early access to new episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to merchandise, blooper reels, and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcaster's disassembled episodes. Just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcastersassemble. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcastersassemble. Link in the show notes. Podcasters, assemble! This is Kate from the Blob of the Hud podcast. I'm Paul Salt, film critic for Screen Mayhem and co-host of One Good Thing podcast. Hi, this is Arjuna Gonzalez from Peace Island. Hello, I am the Robo Gonzalez 9001. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History. Hey, this is Chris from the Comic Zombie Podcast. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs Podcast. Hi, I'm Tyler from The Coordinate, an Attack on Titan podcast. Hey, it's Matt and Buffalo from Upper Pylon 2, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. To reminisce this time on Star Wars Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. Star Wars, Episode 6, Return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. When completed, this ultimate weapon will spell certain doom for the small band of rebels struggling to restore freedom to the galaxy. You know, I love the original trilogy of Star Wars movies. I've talked before about how I kind of view them as one complete story. When I watch Star Wars, I typically watch Empire, and then I immediately watch Return of the Jedi. Um, And as such, I don't really have specific memories of seeing this, but I just kind of want to wrap up some specific memories of the original trilogy that I have, um, which is specifically something that I haven't mentioned yet, is that I went to see these when they were released um, in the 90s, the the special edition re-releases of them in the theaters. Um, I remember going to see these with my brother um, when they were were released then. Um, And it's just, these movies are really special to me. Um, they're, they're fun, they're funny, they've got a ton of action, they've got heart and story that I love, but one of the things that I think is really cool about them is that opening crawl. And I realize that, you know, we're six movies into Podcasters Assemble here, this is a weird time to talk about the crawl, but I think it's important. So, what I want to say about the opening crawl is that I love that we've got Rob here reading the opening crawl for us on each episode, because the opening crawl has never just been text to me. I started watching the Star Wars movies before I could read. And so someone, whether I was watching the movie with my dad or my brother or my mom, somebody had to read the opening text for me to the point that they are verbal to me. They are, they are a shared oral tradition is, is, is hearing the opening crawl read aloud. And every time I've seen a Star Wars movie in theaters, 
I've read it out loud. I'm that guy in the theater. I don't read it loudly. I just lean over to whoever I'm sitting next to and read it out loud because it's the opening crawl. That's it's part of Star Wars. Somebody's got to read it out loud. And in Jedi, the start of the uh, the movie in that opening crawl, we find out there's a new Death Star. And that's just mind blowing. Like the Death Star was such a big freaking deal that when we blew it up, we changed the year system in Star Wars to reflect the destruction of the Death Star. Like, dates in Star Wars are based on the Battle of Yavin, which was the destruction of the first Death Star. That's how big of a deal it was that we blew it up. And now there's another one? Ah, jeez. When you're a kid, the Star Wars trilogy is so ubiquitous that you don't really think about any one film being better or worse than the others. It's just Star Wars, you know, the thing. It's all one unit and it's good. But reassessing as an adult, you have to conclude, I think, that Jedi is a bit of a disappointment compared to the promise of The Empire Strikes Back, which doesn't mean it's bad, but it's definitely the weakest part of the original trilogy. The entire first act is committed to just wrapping up all of the plot threads and twists from the end of Empire. Um, it ended on a really dramatic cliffhanger, and essentially the first act of Return of the Jedi is getting it back to the status quo. Han gets saved and defawed, which actually turns out to be a really easy thing to do. You can just do it with like a thing you can get out of your pocket. You don't need that whole room that they used to put him in. That's fine. Uh, Luke has finished his uh, training after all. Remember when they told him it was finished? That he wasn't finished? Um, that he wasn't ready? Ah, he's ready now. Yeah, and leaving to save his friends didn't actually impact things all that much. Um, Boba Fett is dead. Jabba is dead. Oh, and that other hope that Yoda talked about, that's Leia, but it doesn't really come up again, so never mind. Um, we're basically right back to how we were at the beginning of Empire, and now we can just focus on blowing up another Death Star and having Luke fight Vader, which was, you know, the point of the whole thing. So, it's a bit disappointing, but perhaps only really because Empire is one of the best sci-fi fantasy movies ever made. This is a really lovely romp through space and the woods, where there are teddy bears in the woods today, in space. So, I didn't exactly grow up with the original trilogy. First Star Wars movie I saw was Episode One. Saw it in theaters when I was like nine or so. But I guess my first exposure to Star Wars was sort of Return of the Jedi because first thing I remember about Star Wars is for one of my birthdays, my grandpa got me um, a toy from Star Wars and it was an Ewok. I believe it was the one that Leia meets first. I don't know his name. But yeah, I just remember thinking, wow, like I knew about Star Wars. I knew about lightsabers and I was just like, wow, this is if you're going to get me a Star Wars toy, this is literally the lamest toy <laughs> you could get. Well, Return of the Jedi has got some stuff in it that I don't love. Uh, it's got some stuff in it I really don't like at all. And it has a lot of detours that really don't do anything for the overall story. But it does have the biggest ending the biggest each movie has increasingly higher stakes in the ending as far as different action set pieces and this one has the most um it has a lot of really cool locations a lot of really great effects and a lot of cool characters it has a lot bigger role for lando which is awesome um and really kind of um gives us some closure on the Han Leia relationship a little bit and some stuff like that that I think works really well and really ties up the Luke Vader stuff very well. Um, the shoehorning, we'll say, of Leia as the other Skywalker, I've I've grown up with it, so I've ne I never had that issue where I came into that third movie having waited for it after seeing the other two. If I had, that would have made me really mad. 
but because I grew up with it, it was just like, okay, cool. She's a sister. Moving on. Not like, didn't he just make out with her? Like last? Anyway, uh, I, I like the crap on it sometimes, but at the end of the day, I actually do really like Return of the Jedi. Um, it's As a kid, it might have even been my favorite. Uh, not because of the Wookiees that would have been, uh, but Lucas wanted more toys, so we got little baby teddy bears murdering people. Now, I will give credit where credit's due. If you're going to have a bunch of bears being your, your you know, uh, backup for the big fight, at least they're like psycho murder bears. They're little, but like they're creepy. They were bones of all the things they've killed and like skins for hats. That's not just, they don't have like a, a tailor there. That's not leather they got at a store. That's like human skin or some other weird, probably really big and dangerous animal skin. Uh, they're trying to cook and eat Luke and them when they first see him. And uh, I, most people don't catch this, but Leia, when she gets there, they let her come hang out and stuff. And she walks out from around the corner like, hey, guys, it's me. Look, my hair is like 45 feet long. But no one questions like, where'd they get that dress? She didn't have a dress on her when they caught her. Well, I'll tell you where they got it. It's from someone they ate before her. They're creepy. And they're just shot as like cute little teddy bears. So it's kind of like lost in translation a little bit. But the, they kind of did a really great job of fitting this subtext to kind of make you a little uncomfortable. So when they start bashing heads in and drumming on stormtrooper skulls, it's not completely out of left field. Um, so they do kind of suck, but they could have been a lot worse. Now, none of them are going to make, no Ewoks are going to make my favorite list. But there's a lot of cool stuff in here that does. So Return of the Jedi. Out of the trilogy, I gotta say this is probably my least favorite one, but still, it's a Star Wars movie, so it's like ten times better than most other movies in my book. I think the concept of this movie is better than the actual movie, if that makes sense. Um, and a good example of this is if you ever read the novelization of the movie, like uh, which was based on the original script... There's a lot of stuff they cut out. The theme of the movie is a little bit darker. Like the tone is a little bit darker in the book. And there's this one moment I always remember. There's this whole, I don't know if it was a chapter, but there was this moment in the book where Emperor Palpatine is talking to Luke and he senses that Yoda's died and he's kind of taunting Luke about it. Um, he's like, your master is dead. You know, and he's like really like reveling in it. And uh, he's like, there's no hope anymore, you know. Anyway, so with the special editions, I really feel like they should have added that scene back in. I don't know if they ever filmed it, but I mean, with that, as much extra stuff that they added to those movies, as much extraneous stuff that didn't need to be in those movies, that was one of those moments that was like a really good character moment and a really, I thought it was a really powerful moment because like Yoda's presence. Like, like after he dies and evaporates, like everyone kind of forgets that he was even there, you know, and he was such an important character. So I felt like having a moment to acknowledge that. And especially now that you have the context, of the prequels, that really would have tied everything together. So kind of a missed opportunity in my book. Maybe we'll get it when George Lucas decides to re-edit these yet again, which luckily is not going to happen because Disney owns it. Now, I thought I was going to struggle with something unique, something in my own voice to say about the last two movies, but I managed to ramble on a good deal, I think. But this one, I might actually start to struggle uh, because here again, I have no memory of seeing this the first time. Once again, it's always just been there. This has been part of my life. The toys have been there. And by no means am I a hater of this movie. It's 
a pretty good movie on the whole. And that's the problem. It isn't as groundbreaking as A New Hope, and it isn't quite as perfect as Empire. It's just a pretty solid movie. And it's hard to make fun of it, fault it too much, and it's hard to super praise it and say how it's been, you know, this transcendent movie experience like those last two would be. So it's going to be a little bit of a step down from the last, but I do want to stress that there is still plenty of good here. My first experience of watching the movie, you know, it's like Empire Strikes Back and Attack of the Clones. I think I saw it on some cable thing years and years and years ago, and I really don't have any memory of it. First time I saw episode six was once again at the special edition re-releases at the theater in 1997, I believe. I think they were all pretty close. They were like spaced out a couple weeks apart, but this was the first time I had seen it. I still remember the little theater. So it was kind of a tiny theater and I just, I can still remember watching it with my friends. So for me, at least so far, this is my favorite Star Wars movie, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, it's so emotional. It's There's these family ties that we discover and we learn to accept and all that. But then there's also a lot of fun stuff. It's There's a lot of humor in this one. There's a lot of cuteness. You have the Ewoks, and you have a lot of action. There's Jabba's Palace. There's Endor. There's the... The crazy space scenes. So for me, this one has a very special place in my heart. Although all of them do, especially this one. So we go to Tatooine. Remember Empire left off with uh, uh, everybody kind of getting ready to go rescue Han from Jabba the Hutt on Tatooine. And that's that's our opening uh, adventure scene in Return of the Jedi here. Um, and we start there with C-3PO and R2-D2 walking up to the palace. And this whole sequence is like a big heist scene, right? We find out as we watch uh, the, the rescue mission here that basically everything that happens is planned by Luke and his friends. They they go in knowing what's going to happen. So like before, any, before we get to the movie, Lando's already there in disguise, and then 3PO and R2-D2 get captured, and then Leia shows up and she's bartering Chewbacca, but oh, it turns out they're supposed to get captured too. That's part of the mission. And then, uh, and then Luke shows up and oh no, he gets captured too. But then it's all part of the plan. What I love about this though is it is abundantly clear that no one told C-3PO what the plan is. <laughs> I love the idea that, like, listen, C-3PO, we let you hang out with us. You can come along on our adventures and stuff. But we don't trust you enough to tell you what the plan is. So you're just, can you just, can you just cool it? Like, just be cool. No, you don't get to know the plan. It's too, it's too important to tell you what it is. Because if we tell you, you'll probably blab about it. Or you'll be like, oh, this is a terrible, just don't tell 3PO the plan, ever. Uh, My favorite quote is, yum, yum. No, I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not. My favorite quote I don't, again, I don't remember the exact wording, so forgive me, but it's when Luke tries to use the Jedi mind trick on Jabba at his palace, like, no, you will let us go, and Jabba goes like, oh, ho, 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 and I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's something along the lines of, like, your silly Jedi mind tricks are useless here. Now, no one else in the history of those movies had ever been immune to Jedi mind tricks, and here's this fat-ass slug who is like a mob, a mob boss but he can't even, like, presumably, from this movie, 
doesn't seem to be able to move on his own. Um, so it's like there's this weird power about him. And the puppetry and everything's really cool. But just that one line, to me, I love those little drops of dialogue that hint at like a really cool backstory or a bigger universe. And I think that's maybe my favorite one. And it, it, tying into that sequence, my favorite supporting character is without question... And I know he used to, I know I used to know his name, but Jabba's little monkey buddy, the little mate sits next to him, <laughs> and he like eats C-3PO's eye, which is weird. Like, why are you eating a robot's eye? It doesn't have any nutritional value or anything. Is it just to be a jerk? It seems to be, in which case, like, that's awesome. If you're going to be a little jerk, be one to C-3PO. He sucks. My best, my favorite minor character is Max Rebo, and I love him because he's just a bitch. And I like that in a big, expensive space epic. He looks like a mum made him when a kid wanted a Dumbo toy and that all she had on her was um, some old memory foam mattress. And um, yeah, she just kind of stitched it together with some marigolds into Max Rebo, space DJ. But he's a musician. He's doing his own thing. He's bending his nose in one direction that he's able to do, rocking back and forth slightly. He's great. And he's all we needed. He's the real Jedi rock. You know, of course, Jabba's Palace has so many awesome minor characters. But someone I think about often is the Rancor Keeper. That poor dude, he lost his, like, best friend and pet. He just looks so sad after Luke kills it. I mean, couldn't he have like, used the Force to, like, just knock it out or something? Did he have to kill the Rancor? Poor Rancor Keeper. And I think right off the bat... I think they did a really good natural progression of the Luke Skywalker character here, and I like what they did with him. They make him, obviously, a more wizened character, a great deal so, you know? But I love that they still make him not necessarily perfect. And we rightfully see that continue in the next trilogy. It's a cool thing that they do with him. He isn't perfect in every way. And it's kind of a neat, consistent character trait. You see the hints of it here, his doubts, his failures in that. And then that is something, an element that they made a consistent, fun, good, entertaining, deep character trait that they extend to the next trilogy. Here, he knows that he's amazing. He has all this amazing potential that's only, you know, really being slightly tapped into at this point. So he rightfully has a right amount of swagger to him. You know, he should kind of feel that. It's fair that he does. But like I said, he does fail at points. And I don't think he's just failing it when he's kind of struggling with the Rancor Beast. Or, you know, the, the plan on the Death Star at the ends might might not be going great. Or the way the fight with the speeder bikes on Endor works out. It's a still not just that perfect Jedi there. There's still a character trait to him that there's still that kid from the desert planet, the young naive one, that's a little bit bumbly through it. That's great. And that theme of failure, I think, is something really cool to put in a movie like this that I think they take and run with, absolutely run with in Last Jedi. And I will be talking about that quite a bit. The battle on the sail barge is... Listen, I know not everybody loves Jedi, but the battle on the sail barge might be my favorite action scene in Star Wars. 
So like, oh man, it looks like Luke's gonna get fed in the Sarlacc pet. It's so sad, but he's still telling Jabba, like, this is your last chance. Surrender, be destroyed. And you're like, what are you talking about, Luke? Like, everybody you know is captured. You're about to get fed into this giant gaping maw in the sand. What could possibly be your plan? And then he kind of salutes R2. And, and what's R2 got sticking out of his head? What is that? And then Luke, like, does the bouncy thing on the diving board and grabs the end of it and flips back up and R2 launches the thing out of his head. It's Luke's lightsaber! And Luke catches it and turns it on and you get sweet new green lightsaber for Luke and his sweet new black Jedi robes and he just starts wailing on everybody. Meanwhile, you've got Han Solo blind fighting using uh, Chewbacca as his eyes against Boba Fett trying to rescue Lando Calrissian while Princess Leia is on the bar choking Jabba the Hutt to death. It's so good. I feel like this takes like everything I love about Star Wars and it just squishes it down into one thing. Even you've got ships because you've got the weird little floating sail barge things. I mean, okay, maybe it's missing out on some ship stuff that I love from Star Wars. But other than that, this it's got it's got humor, it's got action, it's it's just so good. And Luke with his lightsaber looks freaking good in this scene. Like he knows how to fight now. There's none of that Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Darth Vader stuff where they just stand there and wag their swords around. He's flipping, he's swinging his sword all over the place. He's like blocking blaster bolts from six guys at once. Mmm, it's a good action scene. And then it ends, of course, with seeing uh, the Millennium Falcon and the X-Wing flying away from the surface of Tatooine at about 40 minutes into the movie, almost the same point where those two ships flew away from Hoth in the last movie. So Return of the Jedi, if you do want to criticize it for something, I think you can criticize it for kind of uh, echoing beats from previous movies. And you get that here. We get it more later on, too. So now moving on to the action. Here we see a similar pattern from Revenge of the Sith of having that end of a trilogy earned over-the-top action element here. And where they might have flirted in Sith with going too long or too over-the-top, here I think you get that right balance. And yeah, I think some of that is when the movie was made, kind of the era-assisted balance. They couldn't do the crazy CGI battles and all that just for forever. All right, favorite supporting character. Um, I'm going to give it to Boba Fett who, by the way, totally gets punked out by accident and gets eaten by the Sarlacc. But still, uh, this guy is cool as hell, and you didn't really get to see him in action. So yeah, I know he didn't get a lot of play in Empire, but at least you get to see him in one action scene in this movie, and it's for a brief shining moment. It's pretty badass. And then, you know, Han accidentally hits him, and his jetpack goes off, and he screams, and falls to his death supposedly allegedly uh we'll see when the mandalorian comes out all right uh so my favorite light side moment in this movie is kind of tough but i kind of had to settle on that moment where leia strangles jabba to death (laughs) i mean that's that's a light side moment right i mean you know uh he had it coming he was you know a gross uh nasty slug creature and yeah she's a badass so that was kind of cool so I think my favorite thing about this movie is just how badass Leia is. I mean, she's been badass throughout the trilogy, but she gets so many good scenes in this movie. And uh, I know the whole metal bikini slave Leia thing isn't the most tasteful thing, but I feel like her getting to kill uh, Jabba sort of justifies it, I guess. I don't know. It's sort of fan servicey, I guess, but she gets to, you know, she takes Jabba down all by herself. Like, no one rescues her. In fact, she was there to rescue Han in the first place. 
So I think it's cool that it flips the trope of like the princess needing saving on top of his head. Luke goes off to Dagobah where he he's with Yoda in Yoda's last moments as Yoda tells him that there's another Skywalker. And then he runs into Ben Kenobi's Force Ghost and they have a conversation where Kenobi tells him that what he told him about Anakin was true from a certain point of view, which like, no, it wasn't, though, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and we find out that Leia is Luke's sister here. Very important to know that. Wish we knew it before they made out quite so much, but, you know, it's good to know it now. Um, yeah, that's what we get on Dagobah. Yoda dies, Luke meets Ben Kenobi, and and is told that he's going to have to kill Vader. That's his destiny. Kind of. Sort of. Defeat Vader? Maybe that's a better way to put it. So one thing that bothers me about this movie is that Luke and Leia don't give a that like they just like made out with each other one film ago. Um, when Luke tells Leia that he's her brother, she just responds, I feel like somehow I always knew. Does that mean she knew that he was her brother when she planted one on him back in The Empire Strikes Back? Uh, I, I imagine Han Solo might have been thinking about that when uh, she tells him later on that Luke is her brother. Um, I'll just let our thumbnail from the previous episode speak to that. I just I want a scene where Luke and Leia just sit down and talk about it. They just talk things out like, you know, it's real awkward. We just need to air this laundry, this dirty laundry. We need to get that out there. Maybe we'll get that on uh, Disney Plus. We'll get a whole series where Luke and Leia just like have this awkward conversation. And that'll be great. So this movie has a very special musical cue. It's Luke and Leia's theme. Just listening to it, it's a very like soft and gentle and but almost like sad and melancholy but thanks to david w collins um if you've not heard his awesome star wars music podcast i highly recommend it but he brought out the point that the first couple notes from luke and leia's theme is actually mined from the star wars main theme or also known as luke's theme um you know the the famous one we all know so that it's a very poignant moment, you know. It's used mostly when Luke is telling Leia about her heritage, and it's just a really special moment. We get another mission briefing here where we learn that the Rebels' plan is basically that uh, a squad of troops is going to go down with Han Solo to the planet of the forest moon of Endor. I guess not the planet, the moon of Endor, and they're going to uh, disable a security system that is shielding the Death Star. Um, and then a strike force with Lando Calrissian manning the Millennium Falcon is going to go uh, and actually blow up the Death Star. Um, and that strike force, it's not a strike force, it's the whole dang rebel fleet. It's like all like everybody, you know the medical frigate that we've got? We're definitely going to bring that with us on this mission to go blow up a space station for some reason. Han is flying the uh, the stolen shuttle that they're going to use to get to the, the moon of Endor. Best ship in the movie, other than the Star Destroyers this time, would be uh, the Imperial shuttle. Specifically the one that Luke and friends hijack. I don't know, just the design of that thing. I've always liked it like since I was a kid. Just the, the way the wings come up and all that. It was just cool. I don't know. I had a toy of it. And he, they're using old codes and he's like, I don't know if it's going to work. And Luke senses Vader on the ship and Han's like, oh man... 
just uh, Chewbacca, just keep your distance. I'm sure it'll be fine, but, but keep your distance. But don't look like you're keeping your distance. And Chewbacca goes, and he goes, I don't know, fly casual. It's just, what is, it's not helpful, Han Solo. That's not helpful advice. Down on the surface of Endor, we run into some of the like forest troopers, scout troopers, I think they're called. And these guys, these were always my favorite troopers in terms of the, the look of their helmets. I, I think I had some toys of these is why they're so prevalent in my memory. But I like the like hooded visor thing that they've got going on. Um, and of course, they they jump on their motorbikes and Leia sees one of them getting away. So she's like, we got to get him. And she jumps on a motorbike too, uh, or a speeder, not a motorbike because there's no wheels. And Luke jumps on the back. And this is the another great Leia moment. Leia gets a lot of cool action stuff in this one. Um, but the fact that she's the one who sees the speeder and is like, we gotta go, let's get those guys, is very, very cool. And then you get this great chase scene through the trees of Endor, where Luke eventually gets his own speeder, so then you've got Leia and Luke both on speeders separately, fighting against all these scout troopers. It's really cool. It's another great one for video games. I think on the GameCube is the, uh, the Rebel Starfighter or whatever game that I'm thinking of here, that had a pretty cool level of, of riding those, uh, uh, speeder bikes through the forest moon of Endor. But it's a cool action scene. This this movie, is, it's just a lot of fun. That's what I keep coming back to with Return of the Jedi, is it might not be the best Star Wars movie, but I think it might be the most fun Star Wars movie. And chase scenes like this are why. My favorite vehicle, again, it's always the Millennium Falcon, but my favorite vehicle in Jedi is the land speeders that they use on the uh, Endor forest moon. Um, those things are cool as hell. They're like the Star Wars version of motorcycles, but they're in like off-road. And the sequence where Luke is fighting the um, the troopers on theirs is really, really... Luke and Leia, excuse me, uh, is really, really cool. I always liked the stormtroopers that were like a little bit different from the generic ones. Like on Hoth, they have the guys with like the skirts and the hoods. Those guys are cool. And then, of course, on Endor, you have uh, you have these guys with like the weird boxy helmets. I thought that was cool. Um, kind of more all-terrain uniforms. Bear's vehicle is the speeder bikes. One of the coolest vehicles in Star Wars, and featured in the coolest level of the Star Wars Trilogy arcade game. Um, contentious, but I think that was the best level. They just look cool, in that great lived-in Star Wars way that things look good. And they look dangerous, which is cool, kids. And the sequence is just a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the speeder bikes, they're awesome. And I had one, I had a toy of one when I was a kid, and I used to love it. They are so cool, but impractical. Like, the smallest thing makes them explode, and it's kind of fun. I feel like they would make more sense on a desert planet where they don't have to dodge things. They could just go in a straight line without hitting anything, where they're on a forced moon that there's so many obstacles. Um, <laughs> my favorite scene with the speeders is actually when one of the Ewoks takes one, and his body's just, like, flailing and uh, it, I remember he spins out of control at one point. I really wish he hit a tree and exploded and died. That'd be hilarious. But he doesn't. My favorite ship slash vehicle. Those like forest skimmers that uh, we saw on Endor. Those were cool. And I did like those chase scenes with the stormtroopers. But I think I still got to give it to X-Wings, man. And it's for the same reasons that I talked about in episode four. There's just so much nostalgia around them and memories of missions with X-Wings in different Star Wars video games. Is it Star Wars Rogue Squadron? I remember some Star Wars game for the N64 where you actually got to fly into the Death Star in the same events at the end of Return of the Jedi and destroy its reactor. And that was especially fun. 
So Leia's hanging out with Wicket. After she crashes her speeder bike, she meets Wicket the Ewok. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of the Endor team are trying to find her and get stuck in a net because Chewbacca smelled some raw meat and grabbed it and a big net caught them. And then they meet the whole Ewok tribe. And listen, I like Ewoks. I just do. Fight me. They're good. They're cute. They're fun. They're funny. Uh, they do try to eat all of our people alive until C-3PO tells them he'll use his magic powers, uh, at which point Luke levitates him across the room. It's kind of cute. Um, so some of my favorite lines from this film are when the Ewoks think that C-3PO is a god. Um, I remember there's one part where he's like, I could be wrong, but I do believe they think I am some sort of god. And then uh, they're like, go with it, like run with it, like tell them what to do. And he's like... It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. And I think that's my favorite line. That's that's a good line. It's stupid. It's good. But yeah, I like the Ewoks. And, and I like the next scene we get to where 3PO is telling the Ewoks the story of Star Wars. And it's all in, in Ewokese or whatever. But he's got sound effects like... Of the walkers and... For Vader and... For the blasters. Like, it's cool. Because even though he's speaking another language because we've been watching the movies and we know those sound effects you can follow along with his story that's really neat my favorite droid moment you know i would have thought that r2d2 would have some cool scenes like he did in the last two movies i mean there was that one where luke is almost thrown into the sorlacc pit but you know i gotta give this to c3po telling the ewoks the whole story that brought him and his friends to endor I know from experience that when you have a speaker to speak with instead of a human mouth, you can, yeah, have all, make all sorts of custom noises to help improve the story, and yeah, that was cool to watch. Luke ends up deciding, after telling Leia that, that they're siblings, that he's got to go to Vader, um, and he willingly goes and surrenders, surrenders himself to the Empire. Uh, and ends up meeting Palpatine face-to-face, and Palpatine's like, oh, this is sweet, you're totally going to be evil. And is just staunch like, no, not. I'm going to die when the space station gets blown up, but I'm not going to be evil. And that's where we find out that this has all been Palpatine's plan. Like, he knows that the troops are on Endor, he's the one who actually, like, leaked the info about the security station on Endor, and he says he's got an entire, like, garrison of his best troops, I think he says an entire legion of his best troopers guarding the security center, that's important, we'll come back to that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he's, and he tells him that, like, he knows the fleet's coming, he's got his own fleet there, it's just gonna be a massacre. And at that point, uh, he, he tells, he tells Luke one of the weirdest lines in this movie where he goes, oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield will be quite operational when your friends arrive. What? What is that acting choice, Emperor Palpatine? Oh, I'm going to pretend to be so sad because I'm so evil. It's just, it's a weird choice. The dark side moment that sticks out to me the most would probably be where Emperor Palpatine is kind of goading Luke on to force summon or grab the lightsaber and strike him. Mostly because in my head, now that I've seen episode three, I'm kind of comparing it to what went on in the prequel films. And I gotta say, like, what Palpatine did to turn Anakin to the dark side 
it has some of its own weird inconsistencies and things that you ask yourself, too, but I do kind of wonder, walking away from that, what was Palpatine... Like, how was Palpatine thinking this was going to work? Because back in Episode 3, he had, like, Anakin's fear that he was going to lose Padme, and he was able to manipulate him that way. Like, how exactly did he think he was going to win Luke over to his side? Like, just by trolling him, basically? It, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. I bet he thought he could make this work, probably. I think the best dark side moment in this movie, and there's a lot of them, uh, I think the best moment has to be that moment where it's revealed that Palpatine has been setting a trap for the Rebels this entire time. Uh... And Admiral Akbar, of course, is the first to realize it and announces it very loudly. And it's a trap! Since become a meme. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's great. Because, I mean, that's one of the cool things about that character is he's always, like, five steps ahead of everyone, you know? He's manipulating everything. He's pulling all the strings. And clearly, with the trailer for Episode Nine, he's he's, uh, you know, really got 60 years planned here, you know, of... Uh, evil machinations or whatever my favorite minor character you know the ewoks definitely achieved the cute factor that they were going for and so i i would maybe give it to the ewok that meets princess leia and she convinces him that she's not a threat and all of that but i think i gotta give it to admiral akbar for it's a trap and that's my favorite quote of the movie as well and it sucks that 4chan turned that meme into a transphobic thing, but I'm old enough to remember the early 2000s when that was a much better and more wholesome meme. And my favorite part of the whole movie, again, going back to the kid, at this point seeing this, it was the blowout of all blowoutist space battles. I love this as a kid. I praised the battle at the beginning of Sith for its positives. And it did. It had some good ones. But here, I love this. It has the absolute right amount of layering to make it feel really big and chaotic, but not overloaded. You still get a lot of depth from it, but not like tuning out from it. And plus, it is massively benefiting from just the iconic, beautiful ship designs just all throughout it. The Mon Calamari, the, the Star Destroyers with the Super Star Destroyer. All the rebel fighters, a whole mess of them, a, a beautifully tweaked TIE fighter. And then the backdrop to it is the revisited, now cool, even more sinister twist on the Death Star. I love this part. It wanted, it made me want to have more of it. Where I don't know if in Revenge of the Sith I want to see more of that. Here I definitely wanted to see more of it. It's like the Borg fight in Star Trek First Contact. It's super short super intense. I just want more of that. I can live in that for quite a bit longer. This is where the movie gets very silly and very fun at the same time because uh, our team down on the surface of Endor, they should be, they're, they're out of luck. You know, they've been captured by the Imperials until, until all the Ewoks arrive and save the day 
Because, if you remember, there's an entire legion of the Emperor's best troops on the surface of the planet, but they're no match to a bunch of teddy bears with guerrilla warfare tactics. We get sneak attacks. We get catapults. We get log traps. There's trip wires. It's, uh, it's just everything, and it's so good, and the Ewoks are, like, super deadly. Why do the Ewoks have siege weaponry? That seems not fitting with what we've seen of their culture so far, but who cares? It's great fun. This this scene is ridiculous. There's no way the Ewoks should win. But I I don't give a damn because it's so much fun to watch. The Ewok stuff I think is fun. And as a kid, you kind of like it. Maybe as you get more of a cynical adult, you kind of turn away from that. But I kind of try and look at it through that, that younger eye still quite a bit. And I think it's fun. If nothing else, the planet's visuals are enough to keep it alive and an entertaining thing. Don't underestimate the power of having onset, you know, real tangible stuff to draw the eye to. When I was a kid, the Ewoks always kind of bothered me, but they've really kind of grown on me as an adult. Like, I mean, they're not my favorite, but I guess after watching Gungans, like, it's a huge step up. A uh, real quick note about the Ewoks. I don't hate them, but this movie's tone is all over the place because of them. You know, it feels really out of place, especially because the way the movie cuts back between three different action scenes. One of them's like this really intense scene where Lando's like piloting the Millennium Falcon through this under construction Death Star and it looks just like the craziest level of a Nintendo 64 game. And then you got <laughs> Luke and this really dramatic scene where, you know, he's trying to redeem his father and all that, um, the, you know, the Skywalker drama. And then you go to these teddy bears beating up on these imperial, like, you know, these trained soldiers, supposedly. I mean, their aim is shit, but like they have guns. They have laser guns. Come on, man. I like how I'm going to go on for 10 minutes just about the Ewoks, but it's worth pointing out. It's worth pointing out that in the original draft, these were supposed to be Wookiees. But they realized that they didn't really have the budget. I get it. The Ewoks could be a bit trying. But like I said, I try and give it the benefit of the doubt. They don't bother me that much. Aside from that scene where a couple get blasted and their buddy tries to shake one awake, man, that'll mess a kid up. Of course, not all the Ewoks make it through this fight. Uh, there's a really tragic moment where the there's an ATST walking along and it shoots a laser blast out that sends two Ewoks flying. And for a moment, you think, oh my God, those two Ewoks, they just died. But then one of them moves and you're like, oh, they're okay. And then he grabs the hand of his friend and pulls on it and his friend doesn't move. And you're like, oh no, their, their friend is dead. One of the Ewoks died. And friends, I'm here to tell you that that dead Ewok's name is Nanta. And his, the, the friend who was trying to pull him away, his name is Ramba. Um, for a while, the fandom called Nanta the dead one Corpsey because he didn't have a name. Um, so they tried to call him Corpsey and then Lucasfilm was like, no, his name is not Corpsey, the dead Ewok. And eventually he was given the name of Nanta. And his friend Ramba, uh, I think, deserves special commendation in this episode. I, I want to shout him out here because in the middle of this battle, when he realizes that Nanta has died, he just takes a moment to sit next to his dead friend. And I think that's really touching. While the Ewoks are busy fighting the Imperials, Han and Leia and crew are still trying to get into the uh, 
the base and R2 is going to help him. But oh no, R2 gets zapped. So Han tries to hotwire the doors and he's like, all right, I think I got it. I think I got it. And then the bigger blast doors come down and seal it even more. It's just, I, I love Han Solo. He's so bad at everything. And yet he manages to succeed. It's just great. Um, and then, oh no, Leia gets shot. And, and, and then a bunch of troopers come and surround them while Han's like leaned over Leia. And she kind of looks down and he realizes that he's holding a blaster. And he says, I love you. And she says, I know. And then she shoots all the guards. It's very good. She's just such a great character. And this is one of my favorite moments of moments of hers and of her and Han together. Um, two movies ago, she grabbed a blaster and shot through a vent on the Death Star and ended up earning Solo's begrudging respect. And now, in their lowest moment, she goes for the blaster again. And it just bespeaks her unbeatable spirit and cool head. She might be a badass in her own way, but Han can't deny that she is and that he loves her for it. So there's actually a lot of really good, uh, memorable lines in this movie. And I think I've got to give it to that moment where it's kind of a callback to that, that moment at the end of Empire where Leia tells Han that she loves him and he responds, I know. There's a moment in Return of the Jedi where there's kind of a reversal of that. It's a callback. Um, and Han says, I love you. And she says, I know. And I, I know it's kind of cheesy, but I just I love that moment. I think it's great. Still haven't figured out how to get inside the blast doors when an ATSD comes rolling up and Han's like, oh, no, and puts his hand up ready to surrender. And then you realize, oh, my gosh. That's not that's not an Imperial ATST. That's an ATST being piloted by Chewbacca and a bunch of Ewoks. And so then uh, they use the communications in there to trick the Empire into opening the blast doors, and they capture all of them. And then they're finally able to shut down the shields. And finally, you have my favorite explosion in movie history. Man, when that deflector shield explosion happens on Endor, it is amazing. The scale feels so real and absolutely enormous. I, Anytime this is on cable, which again, is it's all the time, I make sure I'm always looking at the screen during that part just to see that go up. It's a great, oh, just a great powerful moment. Up in space, we get a lot of dogfighting between the Millennium Falcon and the, uh, the Rebel Fleet versus the uh, Imperial Fleet while they wait for those shields to go down. And then as soon as those shields go down, we get some of the coolest stuff I've seen in Star Wars because they go and fly inside the freaking Death Star. They're swerving around in there, flying around pipes and stuff. I don't know why there's so much empty space in the Death Star. doesn't make much sense, but who cares? Because it looks cool, and there's a part where a TIE fighter takes a turn badly and crashes into the side of the wall, and it's awesome. And then they get into the guts of the thing, right into the middle, and holy smokes, there's this giant cavern with like the, I don't know, the warp core or whatever for the Death Stars in the middle of it. And they blow it up and then they've got to fly out of there. And this is another of those moments that is like super important for the realm of video games. Because in every video game, spaceships, big spaceships, are designed with the same weird giant core cavity that you can fly your ship around in. I've done this in Star Fox. I've done this in, of course, all kinds of Star Wars games. I'm pretty sure I've done it in Mass Effect. Like, it's just, in every video game, spaceships have a, a big weak point right in the middle that's got a big open space around it. It's really nice of them to design that way. And the Darth Vader-Luke fight at the end is exactly what you needed. 
it wasn't over long it didn't have the multi-staged fighting from the previous one here it really was the son passing up the t now tired father it just wasn't self-indulgent it gave you enough i think to be that right amount of thrilling but at this point you don't need that you need that emotional payoff of them and I, you do get that here so one of the reasons I like this movie more than the other original trilogy films is because the lightsaber fighting is actually pretty good. Like the choreography in the first one is so like abysmal. Um, after you're coming off of episode three, if you watch them in order, like, you know, you've got Obi-Wan and Vader, like oh, Obi-Wan and Anakin doing like flips and like that, like 30 minute fight scene between them. And then you get to New Hope and they're just like, They've aged about a thousand years and they can barely move and it's just so bad. But in this film, uh, Luke and Vader's fight's actually really exciting and yeah, it's it's good. Uh, there's one part at the beginning of their fight that I think's hilarious where Luke kicks Vader down some steps and yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it's really funny. I can't I can't describe it, but if you watch it, it's comical how he falls. Uh, many flips and stunts in this fight scene. They've clearly uh, up their lightsaber game since last they met. Um, but ultimately, uh, what this scene is about is the personal conflict between Luke and Darth Vader, and specifically the internal conflict in Luke, where he's deciding how much he's trying to save Darth Vader versus defeat him. And he's he's leaning towards, I want to save him, when, uh, like, like saying, you know, I don't want to fight you, until Darth Vader reads his mind and finds out about Leia. And he's like, ah, sister... You were right to try to hide her. Perhaps if you will not come to the dark side, she will. My favorite dark side moment, I was going to say the Emperor's torture of Luke. Because obviously I really like that scene. Because he enjoys it so much. He takes this real sadistic glee in hurting this kid. But honestly, I think my favorite dark side moment is Luke. It's when the Emperor threatens, I'll kill you and I'll take your sister. And Vader will do it. And uh, Luke snaps and he goes nuts. And he it's the coolest moment Luke has uh, from an action point of view. He really goes after Vader and his full power finally comes out. And even Vader is powerless to stop him. He has nothing. He can't stop him. And Luke really does to him what he did to him in the previous movie. But because he's not his father, he pulls back. And... It ends up being a light side moment, but that sequence where he's going into the dark side and you see how strong he would be is really cool, uh, even if it's only for 40 seconds or whatever. The best dark side moment is Luke's slip. It's one of the very few radical or subversive moments in the film, and it doesn't, it doesn't quite last long enough. Um, but it's when Luke gives in to temptation and he just wails on Vader with his lightsaber. It's a bit too abrupt, really, considering that Vader hasn't actually offered Luke a compelling reason to go dark. He's just mad about how scared he is that his friends will not be okay. You know, the idea that that would in the long run lead to him taking up the dark side is a bit... It's, it's not quite there, but it's nevertheless the biggest victory that the dark side gets in this one. And it's a compelling moment, because... Just for a second, it looks like we might not get our happy ending. And then it gets better. But it's good. Mark Hamill sells it. Uh, the best musical moment is the dark side theme resplendent, but drawn out during the dark Luke moment I just mentioned. Um, it really underscores the tragedy and the horror of this moment of rage. It might look like Luke's finally getting the better of Vader, which we've been waiting to happen. 
um, for two for three movies now, but the music lets us know this isn't a good moment. This is bad. What's happening? And that's yeah, really cool. Um, but then it gets better. But if you really like watch that moment and really hear the music, the music like starts swelling and it's really dramatic and it's you know it's got like. Uh, it sounds operatic almost. And um, it just, it's such an emotional scene and it's so well played. And then it ends with Luke chopping Vader's hand off and you see like the sparks come out and Luke looks at his own mechanical hand and he's like, Oh no, what have I become? You know, he doesn't say that, but it's implied. Um, And then you hear creepy ass Palpatine laughing in the background, clapping like, good, good. (laughs) you know embrace your anger or whatever he says um but yeah no it's it's such a good moment and then you hear uh the emperor going good good give in to your hate strike him down and take your rightful place at my side and luke realizes no not gonna do that my favorite dark side moment is that scene where luke informs the emperor that he has failed and he's a jedi like his father before him and then the Emperor just in the most cold, evil way says, So be it, Jedi. And <laughs> Ian McDermott, I mean, that's so evil. And then he just proceeds to, like, electrocute him with his force lightning. And so freaking cool, he can shoot lightning out of his hands. That whole scene is just amazing. You can really sense the, the Emperor's hate for the Jedi. And then he's doing that, and it looks like he's going to kill him, and Vader's kind of looking back and forth between the Emperor and Luke. And depending on which version you're watching, either you see it in his physical actions, or you actually hear him looking back and forth go, No. And then pick up the Emperor and go, No! And throw the Emperor over a ledge into a never-ending pit. He kind of finally wakes up to everything Obi-Wan was telling him all those years ago in those movies that didn't happen. And he picks this geezer up and, you know, basically kills the both of them. Um, really, really cool moment. Uh, and it's earned, I feel like. It's very earned. To his death? Maybe? Question mark? I don't know. I haven't seen episode nine yet. Who knows? I'm very curious to see what role the Emperor is going to have in episode nine. You know, we've been teased spoiler alert if you have not been watching any of the trailers or anything but is it is he really not dead i guess we'll find out if that's just a red herring or if there's some other means that he's still around i always thought that you know the emperor's demise was a pretty good ending but i guess we'll see how that all plays out hopefully jj brings it but let's keep talking about return of the jedi (laughs) not the rise of skywalker Luke's trying to drag Darth Vader out of the Death Star's explosions and evacuations are happening all around him. And uh, and Darth Vader asks him to help him take off his helmet uh, and help me remove my mask. And Luke's like, I, you'll die. And he's like, I'm gonna die anyway, and I want to see you with my own eyes. And so Luke helps him take off his helmet, and we see the face of Anakin Skywalker um, looking at his own son. One of my favorite moments in this movie is when Luke tells Anakin that he's got to save him. You know, the Death Star is about to blow up and he wants to get him off of there. And he says, I got to save you. And Anakin says, you already have. You were right about me. 
tell your sister you were right. So all along, Luke had been saying, there's still good in him. I felt it. They're still good. They're still good. And so we see with, with this line of dialogue that he was right. There was still good in Darth Vader, despite all the terrible, terrible things he did. And we see redemption. Will we see Bendemption in episode 9? Possibly. I really acutely remember the feeling of wanting Luke to get his dad back. Or to just get his dad, because they've never actually known each other. Um, it always bothered me that he loses his aunt and uncle so callously in the first film. He kind of just moves on. Later on, he, talk, he says, oh, I can't believe he's gone about, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. People who raised you are dead. You know, then he just goes on a wacky adventure to Moss Eisley, but I always really felt it, and I guess I just wanted him to get his dad back. Um, and then when he finally manages to save him, you know, he dies on the way out of the Death Star, too. So the idea that Vader is actually alright with it, because although very brief, he did actually get to be himself again, and that this one moment, the only real moment that they get to have together, is all that Vader really needs... Yeah, that's a, that's a really touching moment. But then he gets to be a ghost. You know, Hayden Christensen, in fact. So he gets to be a hot ghost. So as we see Luke's uh, shuttle flying away with Darth Vader's corpse in tow, um, we also see the Rebel fleet flying away because that explosion that they set off in the core of the Death Star is causing the whole thing to explode. And of course, the last ship we see flying away is, is the Millennium Falcon with Lando and... Uh, Nib Nub, or whatever that guy's name is, in the co-pilot seat. And they fly on out of there, and the Death Star explodes. So it's such a great payoff. Seeing Death Star 2 blow up, and then you see the celebration on Endor, and all the Ewoks, and Yub Nub. And then, you know, with the special edition, you get to see all the different planets celebrating. So, I don't know, that just always makes me really emotional. Seeing, like, Naboo, and Coruscant, and all these different planets rejoicing that the Emperor's tyranny is gone. And then the fireworks... And then, of course, the reappearance of Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Hayden Christensen. <laughs> of course, the first time I saw it in the special editions, it was not yet Hayden Christensen. It was Sebastian Shaw. But, hey, that was another one of the changes. And, you know, I'm not totally against it. I mean, hey, why not? Maybe we'll even get to see Ghost Hayden in Episode 9. Stay tuned for that, folks. I was watching the remaster, not the original from 83, and this was the first time that I ever got to that scene, so it was kind of cool to see that they'd like completely redone the music in the background. And honestly, I think it's an improvement. Although what's not an improvement is the cutaways towards the end that include scenes that seem like they're from uh, Naboo and Coruscant, because it only just sort of drives home like there were probably some interesting stories as these episodes went on that were going on on those planets as well, but we never got to hear about them. I have mixed feelings on the special edition version of the ending. Um, I think it, in concept, it was kind of cool to see all the planets that we'd seen in the previous movies and like the rebellion kind of rising up and this whole celebration of like overthrowing the empire and all that. But some of the things they show just kind of, I don't know, it, maybe it's the way it's shot, but it just feels kind of out of place you know, with how the rest of the movie was and the pacing and all that, it just, it was a little all over the place, but what are you going to do? The special edition re-edits of these movies do suck. 
The big differences towards the end are brutal and are easily, you know, they easily make this movie worse. Vader's no scream is about one of the least subtle things ever in a movie. And I think we can give kids enough credit that they're smart enough that they don't need that part to see what's going through Vader's head. Replacing the Force Ghost with young Anakin was also way too cutesy. We don't need that. And probably the most criminal of all is getting rid of the celebration song Yub Nub at the end. It's one of those super iconic songs I've mentioned a number of times throughout these reviews. How dare you remove that for some just generic celebratory music? No, let the Ewoks sing. But here, I think the biggest criticism I have is something in reference to Revenge of the Sith. They should simply not have shown Anakin slaughtering children, because to me, that makes the redemption at the end here nearly impossible to buy in for Anakin Skywalker. At the minimum, yeah, it makes it a hell of a lot more gray. In other words, he shouldn't be standing right next to Yoda and Obi-Wan at the end. He shouldn't be sharing that same force, you know, level with them for Luke. It should have been not included in those originals. And that's the bigger problem about those originals all told, you know, but who cares about that? To be clear here, this isn't the fault of these original franchise movies. You know, like I said, there's a lot of cool stuff in Return of the Jedi. There's a lot to like. I'm not going to deny it. But there's also a lot you can nitpick. But like I said, it's Star Wars and I don't know. Yay, Jedi! I love the original trilogy. This is, It's just a great set of three movies. I, I will never not be delighted to watch all three of these in a row. And I think that, that Star Wars A New Hope is a, a pretty good balanced movie. It's just like a nice sweeping fantasy epic. And then you get Empire, which is just this dour depressing meditative thing that's very very good but dark and then you get jedi and jedi is just like fun man it's just so much fun and excitement and action and it's ridiculous but i love it and i'll never not love it i think it's my favorite of the original trilogy maybe it's just because it's the one i end on every time i watch them but i just like how fun it is in the end this has to be considered a good conclusion to the end of the franchise Characters, I think, are treated very fairly and make natural decisions or uh, character actions, right? I don't think anything is overly contrived or overly written, you know, as it stood in the original. There's really good action, I think, in general. It's quite entertaining. And I think in the end, the whole ending is quite satisfactory, too. As it stood in the original, there's enough for you to see that redemption arc in Vader, and you did kind of root for that. Luke's maturity throughout is super good. I love it. And I love what they ended up doing with him afterwards. So that's all great. It was a very good trilogy. And I'm hard-pressed to think of a movie trilogy that's actually better on the whole. So good job, original Star Wars trilogy. Off to the sequels now. Podcasters Assemble, probably, Season 2, The Rise of Podcast, is a production of the We Can Make This Work, Probably, Podcast Network. 
this episode edited and produced by Tyler. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assembled Probably by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to places where you can find them all online. Podcasters Assembled Probably will return in Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. It's like, where did the Ewoks hurt you? Papeltine. That's a moment. That's a blooper moment. All right. So I'm going to talk about Revenge of the Jedi, which was the coolest, coolest thing, especially when they go to Kashyyyk and they're fighting and you see like the Wookiees running on the underside of trees and like dropping grenades and bombs on the what? What? They didn't make it? They didn't do the Wookiees? What are they? Teddy bears. Oh. So I guess I'm talking about Return of the Jedi. All right.